Well, we're in a four-week series on Joseph. Um, the first week of our series, we saw Joseph as a 17-year-old boy being sold by his own brothers in their jealousy to traders who would then sell him as a slave in Egypt. And then last week, we saw how God was with Joseph there in Egypt and prospered him under Pharaoh, under Potiphar as his slave, and how then Potiphar's wife lusted after Joseph, and when he refused her advances, accused him of raping her, which landed Joseph in prison. But God prospered Joseph in prison as well. And he was put in charge of all the other prisoners. There are six dreams in the story of Joseph and they have a central place. And so today our sermon is entitled Joseph and the Four Dreams. In fact, the, uh, the DreamWorks animated movie about Joseph is called Joseph, King of Dreams. Interestingly, Joseph is not the only Joseph whose story has a lot of dreams. Joseph, the father of Jesus, had three dreams that God had given him. He also went from Canaan to Egypt and then back to Canaan again. In the first sermon, we read about the first two dreams in the story that God gave Joseph when he was a young man. The sheaf dream and the heavenly body dream. Both of which foresaw Joseph's family eventually bowing down to him. Which of course is exactly what happens at the end of the story. Today we read about two more pairs of dreams. Only now Joseph is not the dreamer but the interpreter of the dream. The first pair of dreams is by Pharaoh's cupbearer and his baker, and the second pair of dreams by Pharaoh himself. Now it's a long scripture reading. I've cut out one section in the middle because it's repetitive, but uh, I don't. It will. It's so long that it, I won't have time to review the story after I read it. So pay attention the first time. This is chapter forty of Genesis. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt, that is the pharaoh. And pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream. And each dream it's with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. 
So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly, when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, so I may get out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into a pit, into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets in my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. What that really means in the Hebrew is impale you on a pole. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer from it to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Jacob, Joseph, but forgot him. Chapter 41. After two years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and then quickly brought him out of the pit, 
And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Well, anyway, then Pharaoh explains his dream again to Joseph, and we'll skip that and pick it up again in verse 25. After Pharaoh tells Joseph his dream. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that come up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them there will arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow. For it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of, of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities. And let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took a signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold neck, a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee! Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath paneah And he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of those seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased 
to measure it, for it could not be measured. Okay. That's a lot of verses. Long story. But uh, next week's even longer. (laughs) We're going to have to cut that one down. It's like seven chapters long. So if, if I read the whole thing, I won't even be able to fit it in the sermon time. Okay, but we'll figure that one out. One of the great truths that you see in the so clearly in the book and the story of Joseph is the sovereignty of God. I mean, think about it. When Joseph came to Egypt, he was all alone. No one else believed what he believed. Everyone else thought his beliefs were ridiculous. They looked down on him as a Hebrew and they scoffed at his Hebrew God. It would have been so easy for Joseph to put God out of his mind or to feel like God had abandoned him, like so many Christian young people do when they go off to college at a similar age. When Joseph was growing up, he was surrounded by people who believed in God. And you know, we're all affected by the people around us. And it's easy to believe what everyone else around us believes. But when a person who grows up in the context of the faith is then removed from that environment and planted in an environment where everybody not only doesn't share the same faith, but is hostile to it, many seem to forget about God. But the fact is, no matter how much a person forgets about God, God is still there. He is still on his throne. He is bigger, in fact, than all the peers, than all the skeptics, than all the influencers, than all the academic experts. Even when he was a tiny baby in Mary's womb, Jesus was bigger than the whole world. Even if every person on earth believed that God didn't exist, or thought that he was evil, or thought that he was pathetic, or believed that Jesus never existed, that wouldn't change one thing. The fact is, the invisible God is more real than all the billions of flesh and blood people and all the nations of the earth that we can see and hear and feel. Much to the chagrin of atheists and many others, You can't erase God by not believing in him. In the story of Joseph, even when God is not mentioned, and he's not mentioned much, God looms over every act and every event. When Joseph is in prison, from a human perspective, it looked like he'd wrecked his life by doing the right thing. But really, the opposite was true. Why? Because God was on his throne directing the situation invisibly. At the end of the story, Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis 50, 20, the most famous verse of the story, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And this was certainly true and a glorious truth, but... You know, it doesn't just apply to his brothers. This is true with regard to everyone else in the story. The slave dealers, Potiphar, 
Potiphar's wife, Joseph's fellow prisoners, especially the cupbearer, and even Pharaoh himself. They are all fulfilling the purposes of God, whether consciously, unconsciously, or rebelliously. They're still in their actions working out God's marvelous and mysterious will. And God is supervising and overseeing and engineering everything that's happening, even if it doesn't seem like he's even there. And so it is with us. God has everything in our lives under control. Even the things which seem like they can't be. And he's working it all together for our good and for the good of his kingdom and the glory of his name. And one day we'll say, like Joseph said, they have meant it, may have meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so when we're in a situation like Joseph was, where we're facing a one against the thousand kind of predicament, we don't need to be intimidated. God is with us. And if God is with us, who can stand against us? We don't need to be clever. We don't need to be well equipped. We don't need to be well connected. We don't need to have a great army behind us. Ultimately, if we have God, we are well equipped. We are well equipped, connected, and we have a great army behind us. In fact, we ought to feel sorry for the world. They're the ones in a pitiable position, even though it looks like they're, they're big and powerful. They're the ones we ought to feel sorry for. All we need to do is humble ourselves before God, entrust ourselves to Him, abide in Him, look to Him, wait for Him, and not despise the day of small things. Just like Joseph. For God is the one who grants success, who turns people's hearts towards us or away from us, who makes one person prosper and another fail. He makes poor and rich, he brings low and he exalts. He puts one down and lifts another up. It's all in his hands. And our job is to be faithful and patient and to trust God with the results. Our job is to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, which he alone knows, he may exalt us. 1 Peter 5, 6. And this, of course, requires a lot of patience. Think about how much patience was required of Joseph. Between the time that Joseph was sold into slavery and the time that he was released from prison and exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh was 13 years. Now let me ask you, when in in a human being's life generally... When is a person most prone to be impatient? That's usually maybe between the age of 17 to 30, right? I mean, it's, that's a time of high impatience for most people. And that was the time that Joseph had to wait. 
And it must have seemed so long. And after 11 of those 13 years, of course, Joseph, it looked like he was going to maybe be able to have a way out. You know, the cupbearer, tell Pharaoh that about this so I can be released. And, of course, the cupbearer forgot. Or he chickened out. And Joseph was stuck there again with no light at the end of the tunnel. It always feels like God leaves us too long in our suffering. But the fact is, God had a better plan. For God, getting Joseph out of prison wasn't enough. God wanted to rescue his whole family and bring them to Egypt and to glorify his name. There's a lot of great waiting stories in the Bible. The uh, story of Abraham waiting for a child. The story of Job being tested. The story of the Israelites in the wilderness. And the story of Joseph. And we see in every one of them the wisdom of God displayed in how long it takes and how he glorifies himself even more because of the waiting. Joseph was looking to get out of prison, but God was looking to save a people for himself. And so often we are just worried about our own little situation. And God, we miss the bigger picture that God has in mind. God isn't just about you and me. God is interested in doing great things through our lives, in the lives of others and in the world. Think about what this waiting produced in Joseph's story. Back to Genesis 50:20, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph's suffering meant salvation for the rest of God's people. But not only did God use the long wait to rescue his people from the famine, he used it to grow Joseph. Didn't he? At first... Joseph was careless and seemed seemed like he's probably a little self-righteous or maybe very self-righteous. Even his loving parents, I'm sure, rolled their eyes many times at Joseph as an audacious teenager. But now, later in the story, we see that Joseph has become a man. He had become the and he became the essence of humility and wisdom you can see this in the story we see how hard he worked at everything he was given to do we see how he asked the baker and the cupbearer under his care why they were downcast when they woke up that morning we see how he pointed, kept pointing to God as the one who could solve the problem and, and do what we needed to have done We see it in how he spoke humbly and respectfully to others over and over again. His suffering had changed him, had deepened him, had humbled him. 
I look back at my own life, and in many ways, I'm embarrassed to say I was an audacious young man. And I, as a young pastor, I had visions of grandeur. But God has taught me that outward success is not God's best gift. Learning humility, perseverance, learning to love the ones that God gives you to love, these are far better gifts. And these things are not learned by success after success, but they're learned by dealing with failure and disappointment and pain. The children of God do get rewarded, not just adequately, but supremely. Though it rarely happens as soon as they wished it did. We see this here. In one day, Joseph went from prison to paradise. From pain to power. You know, if that happened to someone today, we would expect him to write a book like, How I Went From Prison to Power. But Joseph wasn't the author of this great turnaround. God was. He didn't come up with a clever plan of how to take over the country. He didn't outsmart or outmaneuver everyone else around him. God did that. All Joseph did was, think about it, faithfully his mundane duties while waiting on the Lord. First the duties of a slave you know, physical labor, then the duties of managing other slaves, then being a prisoner, then the duties of caring for other prisoners. That's all he did. Faithfully doing those things, waiting on the Lord, and doing a good job of it, so that they kept getting promoted. And he accepted the circumstances that God had put him in. And he resisted temptations, because he knew that God was watching And he paid attention to the situation and he learned everything he could so that he could get better at what he was doing. And he kept trusting in the Lord. He had no idea that he was being prepared to run the entire kingdom of Egypt. He was just being faithful in the little things. And you know what the scriptures keep saying, He, when you have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. We also, as God's people, have a day in our future when we will go from prison to paradise, from pain to power. But that day is God's day, not our day. And any crowns we receive on that day, we will turn and cast at his feet. He will end up with all the glory. And anyone who succeeds knows that the glory belongs to God and we like to steal it for ourselves but it's all from God and God wants us to succeed but he wants us to succeed in such a way that we know it's from him and not from us and at the end of the story of Joseph in a beautiful way God does get all the glory you know you meant it for evil but God meant it for good At the end of the story, we're not in awe of Joseph. Wow, what a man. We're in awe of God. And he leads us there because he's in awe of God. 
not of himself. And at the end of our story also, no one will be in awe of me or you. But we will all be in awe of him, of Jesus, of the Lord God Almighty. Now, as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, I've said several times that Christians have historically taken Joseph as a prophecy of Jesus. That is, he's, he prefigures Jesus. He points forward to Jesus. In many ways, he's like Jesus. He left his home ultimately in order to rescue his people. He resisted temptation. He got unjustly punished for doing nothing wrong. He suffered to save his people. Like Jesus, he suffered alongside two others. You with me here? He suffered alongside two others. And one went up and joined Joseph. Or one went up and joined him. And the other went down and was punished. Just like the two uh, thieves that died with Jesus. But God didn't rescue Joseph from his suffering because he wanted to save others through it. And so God didn't rescue Jesus from the cross, even though there's much talk about it, because he wanted to save others through him. And ultimately, Joseph's sufferings were the pathway to his glory, just like the sufferings of Jesus. And like Joseph's brothers, we are both the one we are both the the ones who caused his sufferings and the ones who benefit from his sufferings. So this is who we are. We are the brothers of Jesus, the brothers of Joseph, and we have a an amazing brother, a gracious brother, who is our Savior and our Lord. And we bow before him in the end, just like the brothers bowed before Joseph. So, in light of this, let us come to the Lord's Supper and seek this wonderful Savior that we've been given in the sacrament. Let us pray. O Lord, It seems like when we act, it's just so full of mistakes and failures and and, uh, imperfections. We thank you, dear Lord, that when Jesus acts, it's always perfect. And so he is always trustworthy. And we thank you today that as we come to the table, we can look to him and Know that he is the spotless lamb who was acceptable to you and therefore adequate as our substitute to take our place and bear our penalty. And dear Heavenly Father, we come with joy therefore to celebrate this gift of his own self that he gave that we might have life. And we celebrate that even now he is not dead but he is with you at your right hand 
And so we not only celebrate what he did, but we worship him now for what he did. And we pray that as we partake of this precious meal, that you would fill us with your spirit and with the fullness of Christ. For Lord, we have food that the world doesn't understand and doesn't know about. For our food is Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.